1: Three people will high-five and tell them, welcome home. Thank you, Trey. Amen. It is so good to see you in God's house today. You may be seated. 1130, so good to see you. We started with a bang. The 9 o'clock service, almost 1,000 people just in the first service. And then you guys have come and almost filled it up again. Thank you so much for being here today. Truly an honor to have everyone here. We've been working for many months, uh, preparing to make room for all of our new guests, for our online family. Can we give it up for all of our guests right now, all of our online family? Thank you so much for being with us today. There uh, are a few people that I want to just thank before... I share with you for a few few moments this morning the first being I am so thankful to my wife for uh, standing beside me throughout this entire journey Uh, not only standing beside me but rolling up her sleeves and doing whatever it takes to make this vision a reality Uh, serving as our group's pastor and on the executive team helping me to Uh, lead this church in the right direction. I love you and I'm so thankful. You make me look a whole lot better than I am. So thank you. I want to thank Mr. Elijah. I don't see him, right? There he is. He was blending in. Elijah, Ezekiel, and Everly, I love you so much. Thank you for allowing your dad to, to give a lot of his time to this church and for loving me no matter what. I love you guys more than anything. So thank you for just loving me. I want to thank my, my staff, my executive pastor, Josh Nestor, my student pastor, Jeremiah Boston, my worship pastor, Sam Lambert, children's coordinator, Terry Shirley, store manager, Lauren Cafe, Lauren Crawford, I'm about to say cafe again. It's been a long three weeks. Administrative assistant, Debbie Lynch, business administrator, Greg Clark, care pastor, Charles Kennison Counseling Pastor Everett Fraley can we give it up for the staff here at Bethesda Church I'm just thankful that they all still want to work here after the last three weeks I want to say thank you to all the dream team members you guys make it happen if you serve on the dream team thank you so much for all that you do and for being a part of this vision I also want to thank my parents, my mom and dad. They are in-house today. Can you show them a little love? They are here. Thank you so much. I want to thank my brother, Scotty, and his wife, Kristen, and my favorite nephew, Ethan, over here. He is uh, just awesome, and they pastor as well. So they took a Sunday off just to be with us today. Thank you so much for being a part of this. say, wait, you got a lot of people to thank. Well, you don't get to where God wants you to get to without some amazing people. So we have to take time to do it. Um, I want to thank my pastor, Daniel Hampton, First Lady Ruth. Thank you for believing in us and encouraging us. Lastly, I want to thank Dr. Hill, whom I I will give a proper introduction a little bit later. But thank you so much for being here, sir. It, It really is an honor that you lead a movement of nearly 8 million people and you took time out of your schedule to come and be with us. So thank you so much for being here today. My first Sunday as pastor of Bethesda, um, you know, I stood before about 70 people and I knew God had given us a great vision and I saw in my heart the very first day I I could see the old sanctuary field with people worshiping God. And what I didn't know is that we would fill it up three times every Sunday morning for three years uh, because this church grew from 70 people to a church of nearly 1,200 people every single Sunday. Uh, And it's happened in a town of White Silver Springs of 2,400 people. How many know the Bethesda story is a miracle? What God has done here, it, it doesn't happen all the time so we celebrate that, Um, and with that being said, uh, the screens, the lights, all that you see, and you're going to see a lot of cool stuff, Uh, and and a lot of things are coming. The the building is functional, but there's some other additions that will be coming in the the next few weeks that you're going to enjoy. Uh, But we're doing all of this because we want to make room for people who do not know Jesus Christ. We are truly a church where you can belong before you believe. You know, Jesus got criticized a whole lot for hanging out with people that didn't believe. I'm thankful that every Sunday we have people who love Jesus and we have people who don't know Jesus coming to the same building. I'm thankful for A healthy church has believers and lost people showing up. And so we're thankful for that. And we do what we do because we're making room for other people. The truth is, I never really wanted to build a building. And my wife would tell you, my staff would tell you. I, You know, it just got to that point. You're doing three services and you keep growing. It just come. it, it becomes inevitable that you have to build. And there's three reasons why I didn't want to build a building. Number one, I had heard all the horror stories of pastors who had gone through building projects. Pastors who... Uh, you know, went through that building phase trying to build a new building and they, they had heart attacks or uh, health problems, their marriage got in a bad spot, they had financial issues and, and not counting the warfare that you go through trying to get something like this accomplished. And so, you know, it was never my thing to go and build a building. The other thing that I would say, second reason why I never really wanted to build a building is because buildings this building, as, a, as amazing as it is, this building is only a tool. It's a very expensive tool, but it's just a tool because we're not into building buildings. We, we are into building people. That's what we're about. And so we're going to use the building to build the lives of people. The third reason why I never really wanted to build a building is because I watched my dad, who is now a retired pastor. I watched him lead a church. Through a building project, and he has a lot of skills that I don't have. He can he can build he can actually build things, uh, and so I watched him as he basically built a building with his own two hands. But I also watched what it did to him and how the hours and and I knew that if we that if we were ever in a place where I was out in here with a hammer and nails or hanging drywall, we were in trouble. We would have never arrived at this moment. If, if I was in charge of that. And so that always scared me a little bit, but I'm thankful that God put a great team of people around me to help steer it, to lead it, to, to go to, you know, architectural meetings and, and drawings and and come up with all of these things. I want to give a big shout out to Greg Clark for all the work that you did as the business administrator administrator. Thank you, Greg. I know you're tired. You need a vacation. Uh, my whole team needs a vacation. Um, Thank you all for for everything you've done to make make this possible today. I look around this room and I'm I'm truly amazed at what God has done and at what God is doing. And I struggled with how do we celebrate a moment like this? How how do we really take time to celebrate what God is doing? And I, I really struggled with that. And this week on Tuesday, I got a text from a dear friend not only a, a friend of mine, but he's a friend of this house. Pastor Ken Hite from Melbourne, Florida, sent me a text. And in his text, he, he said this. He says, sometimes in the excitement, we celebrate crowds, but we forget pillars. And what he was saying is that this is one of those moments that you, you need to slow down and enjoy the moment. Um, we have been pushing for 11 and a half years nonstop. it's been a constant grind we're not going to stop grinding but we are going to take a breath and enjoy what god has done for us is that all right if we take a moment just like let's take this in and celebrate it there's a concept in in scripture that that i refer to as stones and pillars that that are throughout scripture the bible talks about stones and pillars Um, And it reminded me of something we've taught for many years here. Uh, It kind of goes against the grain because everywhere you go you hear about vision. Vision. You need a vision. Well I've seen people that have a great vision but they have a terrible culture and so the vision never flourishes. Culture is more powerful than vision. You can take great vision and plant it in bad culture and the vision will die. But you can take average vision and plant it in great culture. And that vision will flourish. Bethesda Church, we have an incredible vision. But what's even more important is we have amazing culture. That the people are excited about this. They're passionate about Jesus. We really love people. I mean, go figure. We really love people. Like, we're excited to be a part of what God is doing. And so you take... Vision to change the world and you put it in culture of people that that have bought in and, and willing to give anything to make it happen, great things happen. Jesus talked about the word, how you can plant it in different types of soil. How many know the word is powerful no matter what? But he said you can put great word in bad soil and nothing nothing changes. So it's about the culture, it's about the soil. Aren't you thankful that we are fertile ground for God to speak into, to do all that he's done over the last few years? The scripture says in Genesis 28, I won't read the verses, but the Bible says that Jacob laid his head down onto a stone and he went to sleep. And when Jacob awakened from his sleep, he realized he had a vision of a ladder. The ladder represents a connection between heaven and earth. The Bible says angels were ascending and descending on it. We know that there is a ladder, a connection between heaven and earth in the midst of God's people, where the things that God wants to bring into the earth comes in through the gate called the local church. Because after he had that vision, Jacob said, this is the house of God. And then he said this, the gate of heaven. Bethesda church, we are one of many gates of heaven. We are a gate to our territory we are a gate to our region we are a gate to a world of people that we have never met that tune in every single week and they're looking to see what is god doing at bethesda church why because we have become a gate of healing salvation deliverance uh family restoration all right here in white sulfur springs because we are we have gathered together under one umbrella one name the name of Jesus. Anybody thankful for the name of Jesus today? I'm going to move a little, little quickly here. I want to say one of the things that happened in Genesis 28, when Jacob woke up to the revelation that it was God's house and a gate of heaven, he, the Bible says that he took the stone that was a pillow and he turned it into a pillar. And I, I, I want you to, to grab hold of this. This is not our resting place. We're going to take a deep breath. We're going to enjoy it. But we're not going to turn a stone into a pillow. We're going to move it on into a pillar. This is a pillar moment made up of pillar people. And there's, there's some things about pillars that, that I want to share with you. Um, the first one being... Pillars in Scripture, like stones were used to build something, but pillars were used to extend something. So we've been building to this point, but it's a pillar moment, and this pillar moment means it's time to expand. I've said in the last few months, this is our year of favor. This is our year of dominion. Great things are on the way. To be a pillar, number one, you got to be well-grounded. you got to be a person That others can count on. Secondly, we must be anointed with the Holy Spirit. The scripture says that when Jacob awoke, he set the stone up as a pillar and he poured oil on it. We have to understand that in this moment, it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit. That's what it's all about. The third thing about a pillar is that there is a supportive nature to pillars. They are the support structure of the church. And the fourth thing about pillars is that they have the ability to endure pressure successfully. One of the meanings of pressure means to keep standing in your place when the pressure is on. How many of we've been standing in our place for a long time even when the pressure has been on. Today I'm a, I'm thankful for pillar moments, but even more thankful for pillar people. What I'm most excited about and I hope this will inspire you I am excited about the thousands of people that will be saved in this new facility. I'm excited about all the marriages that will be restored in this new facility. I'm excited about the addict who has been addicted for 10 years with no hope of tomorrow when they come in through these doors and they get set free by the power and the presence of Jesus. I'm thankful to be a part of a church where people can actually belong before they ever believe. I'm thankful that that people that did not pay for these seats are going to come to know Jesus because of your generosity. If you believe all that today, can you give Jesus the highest praise you have so far? Come on, church. Give him the praise today. Don't sit back down on me. Don't sit back down. Stand to your feet. I'm going to ask at this moment because we got to dedicate this facility and do this ribbon cutting. I want my wife, Karen, and my my children, Elijah, Ezekiel, and Everly to join me. I want my staff to come as well to be a part of this moment. Bishop Hampton and Sister Ruth, if you would make your way up as well, Dr. Hill. Bethesda's board of directors that are present if you could be here we also want to invite Jeff Vickers who helped us um, with our loan and walked us through this entire process to get us to this point everyone on this platform has been instrumental to us getting to this point point. and when this is all said and done we're going to cut a piece of the, this beautiful bow you see and we're going to mail it to each person on this platform Can you guys give everybody on the platform a big hand? Can you do that? Be awesome. I just got to say, y'all look really good out there. Hi, baby. Hey, hey, you want to say hello? Hello. Can you tell them welcome home? All right. Awesome. Don't drop them, all right? Now, here's what we're going to do we're going to pray, we're going to cut the ribbon. All right, then we're going to celebrate and we're going to go right into worship so you don't have to be seated again. But I want us to take a moment, bow our heads, and let's just dedicate this new facility to Jesus and his purpose. Father, we just come to you right now in the name of Jesus, and we thank you so much for what you're doing in our church. We thank you for the influence and favor you have given us. We ask that you would continue your work through us and that we would not only impact the region, but we would impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let this building be a place of salvation, healing, and deliverance. A place where people who are far from you would come to know you, find freedom in you, discover their purpose in you, and make a difference in the world for you. We thank you for this amazing tool, and we ask that you would help us steward it in a way that honors you. We dedicate this facility to your purpose and we ask you in advance and we thank you in advance for the thousands of lives that will be changed as this vision continues to move forward and we ask it in Jesus' name and everybody said amen. Amen. Y'all ready to cut this ribbon? What's up? Ken Hyde here and we are celebrating God's work in you. This brand new facility so exciting. Come on everybody, real quick, all over the room, clap your hands, lose your mind for the most remarkable pastors on the face of the earth. Give it up for your pastors, Chad and Karen. Oh my gosh, we are so excited about what God is doing. We know that this marks a very special season for you guys and that the best is yet to come. Love you so much, enjoy this incredible weekend.
2: Hey Bethesda, Pastor Chad, Pastor Karen, we are so excited for your huge day. From Kayla and I and the whole Twin Rivers family, let us say congratulations. But I also wanna say thank you. Thank you for investing in your community. Thank you for your perseverance. I know that this day is the end of a long road. Thank you for your generosity, the sacrifices that you've made and the the gifts that you've given to make this happen. But most of all, thank you. On behalf of uh, one kingdom leader to another, thank you for making sure that more people can come to know Jesus. Kayla and I are so excited about the thousands of people who are going to come to know Jesus in Greenbrier County because of what today means. We're so excited about the thousands of Americans marriages that are going to be healed, the thousands of people who are struggling with addiction that are going to find freedom, all because of what today means. So from the bottom of our hearts, we say thank you, congratulations, and we cannot wait to see it in person. We're celebrating this big day with you.
1: man. thank you, Pastor Joe and Pastor Ken, friends of this house. Today we're truly honored, though, and you're in for a real treat to have Dr. Tim Hill with us to celebrate this monumental moment for Bethesda Church. Dr. Hill, we're very, very thankful that you took time out of your busy schedule to be here today. It means a lot to me and, and Pastor Karen as well. Uh, he is not only an amazing author, but he's a very successful um, songwriter. He is the general overseer of the Church of God, which is our tribe. Uh, Nearly 8 million people are a part of that, and he leads that. And so he uh, is on an airplane more than anyone I know. He's traveling all the time, and so for him to block out this time to be with us, I am truly honored to have him here. So Bethesda, if you would, would you stand to your feet, and would you make our general overseer, Dr. Tim Hill, feel welcome as he comes to share the word of God with us. God bless you. Well, let's give the Lord praise while you're standing. Just
0: give praise to the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. My. Thank you so much. God bless you as you're seated. What an incredible day. And I am so humbled and honored that I have been asked to be here to share this day with you. This is your day. And this is the day the Lord has made, obviously, but it is certainly a day that you have every right and reason to celebrate the goodness of God upon this congregation through the wonderful leadership of this pastor, Chad and Karen Dingus. My goodness, what a tremendous leadership team. I don't have to tell you how great they are. You already know that, but why don't you remind them? Just remind them. Amen. What an incredible ministry. I have just been absolutely mesmerized by some of the things that I've seen here today. When I got here today, they met me with balloons and signs out front. <laughs> Did they do that for you too, or is that just me? That's what I thought. I thought we all got that pleasure. What an incredible thing, though, that the spirit of excellence that just is part of this church. It is, it is the handprint of excellence that I see upon everything as I've walked around here today. Congratulations, Pastor, and all of your incredible team, you and Karen, my goodness, you have built a great place to the glory of God to touch the lives of people. And you got it exactly right. This is not the end of it. This is not an end in in itself. But this is a tool that God will use in the future to help reach people literally around the world. You know, it's amazing to me that from right here on this stage, you're having a global impact reaching the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I congratulate you. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Dan and Ruth Hampton, my dear friends, for a long, long time, thank you for being here. I know you're proud of this couple and proud of this church as we all are. Well, as I shared in the first service, I want to share with you today that when I preach anywhere and I'm, I'm an invited guest, I always have three primary goals. Number one, I want to see somebody come to know Jesus Christ. And there were people that came to know Jesus in the early service, and I believe that will happen here again today. Secondly, I want to encourage the believers, those who have met Jesus and have been following Jesus for a long time. You know, I'm just finding that in this world we live in, we need some encouragement. There's a lot of stuff going on out there, and the body of Christ needs to just be built up. When we come together here on Sundays, we need to leave here feeling stronger than we were when we came. then I told them in the early service, my third primary goal is to do my best not to preach a dear Lord help me sermon. (laughs) Let me tell you what that is. That's when the pastor that invited you sits on the front seat and the whole time you're up there preaching, he's got his head in his hands saying, dear Lord, help me because of what the speaker said or what he's done. So I always do my best to lift up a pastor and behave myself and try to leave where I can get invited a second time someday. So that's kind of my goal today. But I come into this service today asking a question. When I look at where you are now, and I've heard the stories of where you've been, as Pastor Karen shared with me last night at dinner As a matter of fact, I've been here myself about 23 or 24 years ago. I preached in White Sulphur Springs, and it was a great church then. But I look at the church now compared to then, and the question that I ask is, how? How How is it that you achieve so much? How is it that you've come so far? And I come to the conclusion that God uses people. We know we lean on the Lord, and we trust in God for our help, and that's, that's a given. But the truth is, God chooses to use people. But the people that God uses are what I call big picture people. And I want to talk for you, to you just for a few moments this morning about the principles of big picture people. Now, if while I'm preaching, you get bored, just sit there and try to say big picture people three times real fast, and it'll... It'll keep you entertained for a while. Every week, sometimes two and three times a week, my wife Paula takes me to an airport in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I get on a little commuter flight that usually goes through Atlanta, sometimes Charlotte, to catch a larger plane to go somewhere else. And I'm always stricken by a reality as I travel to that little airport that as she drives me in that car, I'm looking out of a windshield that's no wider than five, five and a half feet, I guess. And at the very best, I might can see a hundred yards or so in front of me to the next exit. But I get into that airport and I go through security and all the process that it takes these days to get on an airplane and I always request the same seat, row 8B, that's the exit row. I've spent a lot of time in the exit row. As a matter of fact, I wrote a book called Life in the Exit Row. I really did. Look it up. Never made the bestseller list, but it's out there. But I sit in that exit row seat, and I look out a window much smaller than the windshield of my car. Much smaller. But it comes to me that as I ascend into the sky even though I'm looking out a much smaller window where I can only see a few hundred yards in front of me in the car, I can now see for miles on that airplane. And the difference is vantage point. My vantage point has changed. And the higher that I go, the more I'm able to see and when I realize the accomplishments of this church and what God is doing through you and with you, it just simply comes down to this. Somewhere along the way, you started climbing higher, and you obtained a better vantage point. You climbed higher in faith. You climbed higher in purpose. You climbed higher in dedication and commitment. And as a result of that, you're seeing things that not every church has the capacity to see. You're able to see that, of course, you're reaching your community, and you love White Sulphur Springs, and there's a lot of people here that you want to reach. But quite obviously, somewhere along the way, you said there is a region that we can reach. There is a world that we can reach, and your vantage point has given you the advantage. And as I think about big picture people, my mind goes to a story I heard one time that comes out of 17th century England. There was a great fire that swept across London, and more than 50 churches were destroyed. And the Queen of England called upon an individual by the name of Sir Christopher Wren to give oversight to the rebuilding and the refurbishing of all of these burned-up, and burned-down churches. The greatest challenge that he faced, however, in all of that that he did was the reconstruction of what was known as St. Paul's Cathedral in London. It was a massive project because it had basically been totally destroyed. Sir Christopher Wren decided one day that he would disguise himself and go down to the stone quarry and check on those who were working to prepare stones to go into this cathedral. He walked up to the first individual and he said, "Uh, what may I ask are you doing? The first individual said, I'm cutting a stone. He thanked him, and he went on to the next individual, and he said, what may I ask are you doing today? The second individual said, I am cutting a stone, making sure that it is precise on all sides and smooth on all sides so that it will fit perfectly into the wall. He thanked him, and he went on further. He came to a third individual, and he said, what may I ask are you doing today? And The third individual looked at him and said, I am helping Sir Christopher Wren." build a great cathedral to the glory of God. That's an example of someone who has the big picture in mind. And when I think of big picture people and the principles that big picture people live by, I go to the book of Philippians chapter three. The book of Philippians is one of my very favorite in all of the New Testament. It only contains four chapters that the apostle Paul wrote When you sum it all up and boil it all down, this entire book is really about Jesus Christ and our relationship in walking with him. The first chapter of Philippians is about Jesus being the purpose for living because it's in this chapter where Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The second chapter is about Jesus being the pattern for life or the pattern for living Because in that chapter, Paul writes, and he says, let this mind be in you. And actually, the word mind there is behavior. Let this behavior be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and being found in fashion as of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's the pattern, humility and obedience. The third chapter of the book of Philippians is about Jesus being the prize for living. Because there, Paul basically says, I really don't need your crowns, your trophies, or your applause. Just at the end of this race, let me win Jesus and be found hidden in him. In the fourth chapter of Philippians, Paul writes about Jesus being the power for living. Because it's in this chapter where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me who enables me by the power of his Holy Spirit to do whatever I'm confronted with and whatever I'm challenged to do. He is the power for living. But when I back up and I study that third chapter more precisely and carefully, I see three dominant principles that Paul gives us. And it's these principles that big picture people live by. First of all, there's what I call the principle of concentration. In Philippians chapter three, beginning with verse 10, the apostle Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. When Paul uses that phrase there, he's he's talking about so much more than just being merely acquainted with Jesus or hearing songs about Jesus or someone telling him stories about Jesus. When he says that I may know him, he's using a word that denotes intimacy. Intimacy. And he's basically saying, I want to be so close to Jesus that I can lean my head against his chest and hear the beat of his heart, that I may know him. You know, years ago, I pastored not all that far from here in a place called Danville, Virginia. And I remember several Sundays I would drive away from that church, and I would look back at the church building as I sat at the stop sign there on the corner. And I would ask myself this question, what just happened in there? Did I help someone come to know Jesus better? Or did I just help somebody manage sin for one more week? Did I just help somebody corral their carnality for seven more days so that a week from now they can come back and go through that routine all over again? And when Paul talks about knowing Jesus, I'm telling you, he's talking about a whole lot more than just trying your best to manage sin and corral your carnality. When Paul says that I may know him, he's literally talking about transformation. He's talking about a place of divine encounter where you're able to say, I am crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is talking about an encounter that you can have with Christ where you're able to stand up with him and testify and say, Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new because now I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. Oh, I feel like preaching now. I'm not just evolving into something. I'm a new creature. I'm not just a tadpole that becomes a frog or a cocoon that becomes a butterfly. I am a new creature because I encounter Jesus Christ. And because of that, I don't want what I used to want. I don't thirst for what I used to thirst for. I don't desire what I used to desire. I can tell you, I know Jesus. And that's the passion of my life, Paul said. Great. Lord, I almost jumped that stage and ran that aisle right there. I just figured this last service, the time constraints are off of me. I mean, I, and Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of suffering and be made conformable unto his death. Now what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to say I have been made conformable unto his death? Well, several commentators have written about that. And one that I particularly like said this, he said, he believed that Paul was saying that he wanted to live out walking in shoe leather, what we see in Jesus hanging on the cross, the abandon, the selflessness, the grace, the mercy. And Paul says, I have conformed unto what I see in Jesus on the cross. And then he moves beyond that. And he says, I must make this quick admission. I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived, I'm not there yet, but I can tell you this one thing I do in verse 13. This one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before, I press, you get the impression that his shoulders is against the, the stone, pressing and pushing. I press toward the mark. The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And in verse 13 and 14 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul lays out three powerful principles that big picture people live by. Number one, the principle of concentration. This one thing. Not two, not five, not twenty-eight. Paul seems to give the impression that he has a laser beam focus on doing one dominant thing. And that is keeping a smile on the face of Jesus Christ and being able to say, I have pleased the Lord because folks, here's the truth. You can knock yourself out, wear yourself down and drive yourself crazy trying to please everybody else. But if you don't please Jesus, then it doesn't matter who is pleased. And the flip side of that is if you do please Jesus, it really doesn't matter who is displeased as long as one day you can stand in front of Christ and hear him say, well done, my good and my faithful servant. This one thing I do, I want to please Jesus. I was reading in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and also in chapter 3 where Jesus talks to the churches of Asia Minor. He begins with a church at Ephesus, ends with a church of Laodicea. But to the church at Ephesus, he says, you're doing so many wonderful things. You love one another. You feed the hungry. You take care of this need and that need. But he said, I have one thing against you. Now, listen, you don't want the Lord holding anything against you. But he said, here's the deal. Of your own free will, of your own volition, you have left your first love. And notice what he said and what he didn't say. He did not say, you don't love me at all. What he said was, you don't love me like you used to. Sometimes I just have to ask myself, do I still love Jesus like I did this time yesterday or this time last year or 10 years ago? Do I still love Jesus like I did when he first found me and redeemed me and saved me? And it's the principle of concentration. Jesus put it this way. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. The psalmist David put it this way. He said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after all the days of my life, that I may dwell in his tabernacles forever. It's the principle. Principle of concentration. Big picture people live by the principle of one thing. And that is pleasing Jesus in your walk, your work, and your witness. Number two, Paul seems to be saying here that big picture people also live by the principle of cancellation. He said this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind. Why don't you just lean over to somebody and say cancel it? Cancel it. There's always an offense. There's always a hurt. And if you're not careful, that will turn into a grudge. But it can all be resolved by living by the simple principle of cancellation. Sometimes you just got to lay out the contract of offense that someone has created in your life. And all the hurts and all the problems and all that's going on. And you got to take that big stamp and dip it in the blood of Jesus and mark canceled on it. Yeah, but you don't know what he said. No, I don't, but you got to cancel it. And you don't know what she did. That's right, but you got to cancel it. And you don't know the hell I'm li- I got that, but you got to cancel it and don't lose your song and don't lose your joy and make up your mind that nothing is going to cause you to lose your victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody shout cancel it. Now, I did this in the early service. I'm going to do it now. I use the early service to make an open public confession. Isn't it amazing how people get quiet and pay attention when a preacher starts confessing? <laughs> I'm going to do that. I'm going to use your occasion of a ribbon cutting. The general overseer is going to confess and all, all in front of all these people. Here it is. Several years ago, a man over me in the Lord at the time called me down to his office. He said, I need you to get on a plane, go to this place, and do such and such. Now, what he asked me was not wrong. It wasn't sinful, but it sure was hard, and I didn't want any part of it. It involved me getting on a plane and taking an out-of-country flight, making an announcement. and I, he, he literally looked at me. He said, uh, hopefully you'll get back alive. I said, well, thank you very much. <laughs> and it angered me that he asked me to do such a difficult thing. Because in the role that, that I played at that time, I had a certain list of responsibilities that was in what, what is known as a portfolio. In the Church of God, there is what is called an executive committee. There are five of us, and the general overseer appoints portfolios of responsibility to all the other four individuals. And so you do what's on your list. And what he asked me to do wasn't on my list. And I had a smile on my face when I said it, but I reminded him of that. And I gave him the name of the other individual that should have done it. I said, Now, he ought to do that because that's on his list of responsibilities. He said, No, you've got the drive. You've got the passion. You can get over there and get it done. Come on back home. I said, All right. Now, what he didn't know, and here's my confession I was mad, bad, and sad. I was anything that rhymed with mad, sad, and bad except glad. I push myself out of my house the next morning at about 4.30 to catch a commuter flight from Chattanooga over to Atlanta. And I'm steaming and I'm fuming. This this thing is turning into a bad spirit. As a matter of fact, by the time I got to Atlanta, it had turned into a bad spirit. And I'm going down Terminal A and I'm talking to myself, God, is there anything you can do? Can you please help me? I don't want to make this long trip to, to start with, and I sure don't want to do it feeling like I do. Is there anything you can do to pull me out of this? And about that time, I walked by the food court. I said, that's the answer right there. I needed a good breakfast. Now listen to me. I love a good breakfast. Let me describe to you the world's perfect breakfast. Anybody hungry here? Now I'm, I'm fond of fried eggs Now, I like scrambled eggs and omelets, but I'm pretty fond of fried eggs and crisp bacon. Oh, my, 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 I felt a, I felt a Holy ghost when I said that crisp Bacon. A summer tomato with salt and pepper all over it. Lay out a fat, fluffy biscuit. And then pour sausage gravy all over that thing. Pepper it up real good. That's, that's the marriage supper of the lamb right there, I will to tell you. Breakfast is the marriage supper of the lamb. Go figure that one out. But that morning in that food court, they didn't have any of that. I went through the line. I got what I thought was going to be a pretty decent biscuit, and I didn't know till I got to the table that it was burnt black on the bottom. Matter of fact, I knocked it against the table. It didn't flake. It didn't crumble. It, 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 it just like a rock. And I'm sloshing through a sorry bowl of cereal, the sorriest bowl of cereal I ever tried to eat in my life. And this anger just stirred up in me. This assignment triggered by a burnt biscuit amazing what a burnt biscuit can trigger in your life (laughs) be careful and I tell you how bad it got I raised that biscuit up and I started talking to it and I transferred every other member of the church of God executive committee into that biscuit (laughs) one by one I I, I imagined their face on that biscuit and I called them by name I said to the first one you should have done it it was your job and I baptized him in two percent milk I raised it up, put another name on it. I said, you're Mr. Suave and Devonair. You don't even sweat when you preach. And I baptized him. (laughs) And all this is just on me. When all of a sudden, so help me, all of a sudden, I heard somebody singing. Hundreds of people milling around that food court in that Atlanta airport, Terminal A. And I hear somebody singing. And here's what they were singing. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? His eyes on the sparrow and I know he watches me and I pushed myself back from that table. I thought, what idiot is singing that song? (laughs) I am not in the mood to hear that song. But I kept looking for the person the voice belonged to and I found him. It was an elderly man on the other side of that food court and he had a dish towel in his hand and he was busting off the table where somebody had sat down and spilt milk and made a mess and... He'd do that all morning long, and the Holy Ghost got to talking to me. He said, why can't you be like him? He said, that man got up a lot earlier than you did, come down here and go through security and work this job, make ends meet for he and his little wife somewhere. Why can't you do what you're doing with the joy of the Lord? I said, you're right, Lord. I am so sorry, and I apologize to you. And When I get back, I'm going to apologize to the gentle overseer, and he don't even know how I feel. I grabbed, I grabbed my roller bag and I'm going down to gate 18 just apologizing to the Lord. And he said, I'm not through with you. I said, you're not? He said, no. Well, we talked to each other kind of like that. He said, you get back into that food court and you reach into your pocket and the first bill your hands touch, you pull it out and give it to that old man for pulling you out of this today. Now listen, I already knew what I had in my pocket. I had a five and a 20 and a $100 bill. And the whole time I'm reaching into my pocket, I'm saying, come on, five, come on, five. (laughs) I pulled it out. It wasn't the five. It wasn't the 20. You got it. It was the $100 bill. I stormed across that food court. I said, hey, mister, hold your hand out. He did, I slapped it in his hand. He said, what's that? I said, don't ask. I went down to gate A18. I promise you I could still hear that old man sing. I sing because I'm happy. Well, he should have been happy. He had $100 out of my pocket. But i tell you what he helped me do. He helped me cancel a bad spirit and cancel a bad attitude. I got on that plane, I did my job, I came home and everything was all right. Listen to me, I didn't just come to cut a ribbon today. I didn't just come to celebrate today and say congratulations. I came to help somebody cancel something in your life. I don't know what they said about you. I don't know what they did to you. I don't know what kind of junk the devil is dragging you through, but I came out to tell you, you can cancel it. Get your harp out of the willow tree and sing your song of Zion and sing your song of praise and and don't lose your joy in the Holy Ghost. Raise your hands and shout, cancel it. Cancel it. Pardon me while I shout. Just a minute right there. Oh, keep standing. Don't sit down. My Lord. I learned once a crowd stands, don't let them sit down again. Amen. It's the principle of cancellation. Somewhere Along the way, somebody will offend you. Somebody will hurt you. But Paul said, big picture people learn how to cancel it and maintain their joy. Here's the third one real quick. Big picture people live by the principle of continuation. This one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind, I press toward the mark I'm not moving fast but I'm going forward may not be going far but I'm going forward and I can almost hear Paul say I'm going to live by the principle of continuation because here's what I know nothing shall separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord I'm going to live by the principle of continuation because here's what I know All things work together for good to them that love God. Those who are the called according to his purpose. I'm going to live by the principle of continuation because here's what I know. There is no weapon formed against you that can prosper. And when you walk through the fire, the flame cannot kindle upon you. Through the waters, the river shall not overflow you. I'm gonna live by the principle of continuation because here's what I know. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. My cup runneth over and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm gonna live by the principle of continuation. Because I want to be a big picture person and see Jesus someday. That text that I started with, where Paul said, We cast our gaze upon things that are eternal, we don't look at the things that are temporary, we don't look at the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. We fix our gaze in 2 Corinthians 4. We fix our gaze on what is unseen, what is eternal. I want your pastor to come. Those of you watching online, those of you here today, somewhere along the way, maybe there's something you need to cancel. Maybe there's something you need to say, Lord, I'm sorry for, change my life, change the course of my life. And I want your pastor to lead you in that prayer because nobody loves you like he does. Nobody can pray for you like he can. And I want Pastor Chad to lead you in
1: this. I love you. God bless you. Come on, let's let Dr. Hill know how much we appreciate that amazing word. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Hill. Would you please just bow your head and close your eyes. No one looking around in this moment. We're going to open up the altars in just a moment and we're going to pray for people. But right now we want to speak to those that are in this room that are not in relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know him as your personal Savior. You need to be saved. And you you say today, Pastor, I want to be saved. I want to know this Jesus that Dr. Hill just preached about. If that's you today, I'm not going to embarrass you but if you need to know him as your personal savior and you want to make that decision today if that's you would you throw your hand up right there where you are and say that's me pastor i need to be saved anyone at all one over here god bless you another one here god bless you you all have to help me in the back i can't see the people another one here god bless you god bless you anyone else Those that are watching online, we would love to pray with you as well. Anyone else? Thank you for that hand. That hand. That hand. God bless you. That hand. God bless you. Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else? Anyone else before we pray? Another one here. God bless you. God bless you. God sees that. Today's your day. It's your moment. You're going to leave differently than you came in. Anyone else before we pray? anyone else another one here god bless you church you ought to just celebrate right now just go ahead I, that's, that's what it's all about right here that's why we do what we do for that moment for that hand every voice lifted come on with me say dear heavenly father i come to you in the name of jesus i'm a sinner i've committed sins i need to be saved but I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, celebrate those people that just made the best decision of their life. Amen, that's what it's all about. Amen. So, so good. I'm going to ask our prayer team and staff to come get in place. If you raised your hand to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you that during this prayer time, you come and let one of our staff members know so that we can help you take your next step. Because it's not just about getting saved. How I many know we, we have to be discipled? We, we, we've got to grow, and we want to help you take that next step. And, and we also want to open up these altars. If you need prayer for any reason at all, maybe your marriage needs prayer, maybe a sickness in your body, a financial issue, we are here to put our faith with yours, and we believe that God can do amazing things in this moment. One more time before we go to to sing this song and pray for people, can you let Dr. Hill know that you appreciate the investment that he made? Thank you, Dr. Hill. And before we sing a song written by Bethesda Church. Can we give Jesus the greatest ovation of the day? Come on, give Jesus some praise today. God bless you.
2: Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook,
0: Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.